In my hands, I hold a fairly crisp $20 bill. It's rare that I carry green on me because, like as a child, it burns through my wallet. But I have it before you today. And if this were given to me as a gift, I would take it to my local bank and I would go through the drive through and do one of the most exciting things. When you go to the bank, you pull up and there's the little capsule that you pull out and you twist the top and I would stick this $20 bill inside that capsule and I would put a deposit slip in there as well with my account information and then I'd twist the top back and I'd put it in its holder and then it'd go up the tunnel, right? And as a little child, I would look at that and be amazed and it would make its way over to the teller. And as he or she would take this $20 bill, it is their responsibility to make sure that this is an authentic $20 bill. And there are different methods of which you can test the authenticity of this currency. One, you can take a currency pin, which I know most of you carry around with you all the time. And you pull this pin out, and if it is the real thing, there will not be a mark. But say, if I take this on the white piece of paper and I run it across, there is our brown mark. Hey guys, enjoy your time at Kids Connection. It's going to be great. To any of our kids who want to go hear a good message about Jesus Christ across the way, y'all make your way out there. And God bless you. Y'all have a great time. All right. So here's that brown mark. And this, and any piece of paper that is not real or authentic is going to show up like this. But if you take your currency pen and you run it across the $20 bill right here, there's no mark. That means, hallelujah, this is real, all right? And it's mine. So I take this real $20 bill, I make the deposit, it goes through into my account. But sometimes, because there are people who are very crafty, very good at what they do, they can wash these things and they can put different numbers or whatever it may be, there are other methods testing whether this is authentic. Whether it be written in the border here, a certain phrase, or when you hold it up, there is a strip, and when you put it under UV light, it turns green. And there are particular words that are read across there, USA 20, and then when you look over here to the right side, there's a little hologram here that turns from copper to green, copper to green. And hidden on this $20 bill are many burdens of proof that this is true and authentic. So how can you point out something that's fake. It's not by studying the things that are fake currency, because there are many different types of fake currency out there. But you study the real thing, this which is authentic and not counterfeit, so that when something fake comes across your way, you can quickly spot it. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of Galatians. And this is Paul's motive for writing, not for money, although he is addressing the gospel, which is far more valuable than any accumulation of money. But the struggle among these young local churches is that they are receiving a counterfeit gospel, something that goes counteractive from what he has already preached to them not long ago. And he's astonished, as we read just a minute ago. He is astonished that so quickly they are moving from what they have heard to this different message. And that's where we begin in the book of Galatians. So today is just an introduction as we study through Galatians this year. And here's where we will start. We'll look at three things in this introduction today. Number one, Paul addresses his own credibility. 
Number two, Paul acknowledges his audience. And number three, Paul affirms the gospel. So look with me in this first point. Paul addresses his own credibility. We read again in verse one. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who were with me. Paul begins once again by stating his name. Paul. There is a lot to that name because his name used to be Saul and now he is Paul. God changed his name. This was not Saul's idea. This was not Paul's idea. This was God's idea. And he called him to be an apostle, meaning one who has seen Christ, who has been with Christ, and he is a messenger to then go tell about Jesus Christ. And this better be authentic Because these are the words that Christ has given him through the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes and he writes these letters of instruction. The church grows in their understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. But Paul was not made an apostle because of his godly credentials. That's not why he's an apostle. Because he chased down and arrested and even gave the approval for the death of many Christians. In fact, that's what he was doing on the road to Damascus. That was Saul. That's who he was. Somebody who was opposed to Christ Jesus. And if he's opposed to Christ Jesus, he is opposed to God the Father. So although he appeared holy on the outside through his religious activity, he was a sinful man before a holy God, persecuting Jesus Christ. And there was nothing within Paul to qualify him for apostleship. So he says, not from men nor through men. So he said, I didn't get this from the men that are in the church at Jerusalem. That's not why I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle because I was opposed to Christ Jesus. I was on the road to persecute more Christians. And on that road, I was blinded by the glorious grace of Christ Jesus. Through that, I became an apostle. So this is his authority. Even before that point, if men had tried to make him an apostle, he would have denied it because he hated everything about Christianity. So we see that Paul's rebellious life was interrupted by Christ Jesus, much like our lives when we repent to follow Jesus Christ. A life of rebellion changed over as we repent and trust fully in the good works of Jesus Christ. So his credentials that he names, his credentials for being an apostle, is this right here. It's found in Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's why he's writing to them. This is what he has to stand on. So right out of the gate, Paul wants to clearly communicate to the Galatians that his credentials have nothing to do with him or any other man, but everything to do with Christ. So these are the words of Christ Jesus. Yes, written by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but that's why we come to the Bible. That's why we preach from the Bible. Because you don't want my expert opinion. You don't want words of Brian. We don't want words of Paul. We don't want words of Peter or any other man that we see or hear about. We want the words of Jesus Christ. And these are the credentials that Paul brings to the Galatians. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which if if you've never read that, I would love for you to write down that title and, and purchase that book. 
It'd be one of the best books you've ever had. But he says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, we may think that there are other things more important about us. Our image, our lifestyle, our story, our background, everything about us. But the most important thing about us is what we think about God. And, and this is the case for Paul. The most important thing about him is how his mind has been transformed after his hard heart did not want God, did not want Christ, did not want the work of the Holy Spirit. He was denying Christ. He had a warped view of God the Father. And this hard heart was replaced with a heart through the grace of God leading him to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. This is the one who's pinning the letter. This is his background. Jesus Christ was the most important thing about Paul. What is the most important thing about you? If we were all to give testimony, and that would, that would take some time, okay? So we're not going to do that, obviously, this morning. But if you were to stand up, we'd say, what's most important about you? Would you quickly think about family? Would you quickly think about your job? Would you quickly think about that hobby that you so love that you think everybody else should be involved in? Or would you say, well, the most important thing about me is Jesus Christ. And that you could be right along here with the Apostle Paul and give reason why. Paul affirms the deity of Christ, which was under attack in the first century just as it is under attack here in the 21st century. He makes a, distinguish, a distinction between man and Jesus Christ. So he's saying, church, it was not long that I was with you And now you're quickly discerning this truth in this authority of Christ Jesus. If you deny that, you have no gospel. If Judaizers come in and they start speaking differently of Jesus than what I spoke to you, you have no gospel. If they deny the work of the Holy Spirit and say your work must be in the law, Do good things before God. This is how you grow. You abide by the law. And the more you do the law, the more you uphold it, the more godly you will be. You deny the Holy Spirit, you have no gospel. He goes further to affirm the resurrection of Christ, which is Paul's reason for living and communicating the gospel. He says, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Yes, he must be raised. Because he is dead, we have no gospel. So I'll remind you once again, as he's writing to the Galatians, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. This is why I live. This is why I preach. This is why I am Paul. This is why I'm an apostle. But not only there, he continues on. In verse 2, he says, And all the brothers who are with me. Now, why did he acknowledge these brothers? These were the same brothers that he was hunting down, looking to arrest, looking to persecute, and maybe give his approval for their deaths. And he's now saying, these brothers who are around me, they're giving approval for this letter. It's not just Paul. It's not just a man writing to you his opinion. This is the words of Jesus Christ. And the brothers who affirm this, they're with me. 
And they say, glory be to God. We're showing our allegiance to Christ Jesus. As Paul pins this letter to the churches at Galatia. Not only did the brothers believe, but Paul believed the gospel for himself. That's why he shared the gospel with others. Could it be that maybe what hinders us from sharing the gospel is that we don't fully believe the gospel? Paul fully believes the gospel. This is what Ray Ortland in his book, The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ. This is what he says. Gospel doctrine and gospel culture do not coexist by lucky chance. The doctrine creates and sustains the culture. The way we live together in our churches grows out of what we believe together. So the gospel must land on each of us personally. You and I must believe the gospel for ourselves first and foremost. But the gospel also creates a new kind of community, a gospel culture called a church. And there was a gospel culture that had been put together with the churches of Galatia. And they believed, many of them believed, as Paul believed, a gospel culture created in Galatia with the works or from the works of God's grace. And here they are quickly deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And as Paul will remind us again and again, there is no other gospel. So if you turn from this gospel, you have nothing else. Nothing else to bring you to God the Father. Nothing, much, nothing else to live your life by with a purpose. You're here, you die, and there is eternity separated from a holy God in the eternal lake of fire. That's what you have apart from the gospel. There is no other good news that trumps this good news or complements this good news or backs up this good news. This is why Paul begins with his own credibility in Christ Jesus because this is God's gospel, not man's gospel. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ, not an apostle of any church. So this is Paul addressing his own credibility. Number two, Paul acknowledges his audience. It's good when we look to Scripture that we know who Paul is talking to. What is dangerous for us when we open up our Bibles is that we just kind of run to those passages that we're far too familiar with, and that's all we ever read. Or that when we read the Bible, we read it with 21st century eyes as if it wasn't written to a particular audience back in the first century. And it's good for us when we open up here in the New Testament that we recognize that and we kind of put ourselves in the shoes of these local churches of Galatia. And so we must recognize the audience in which he is writing to. He acknowledges them as the churches of Galatia. Notice churches is plural. So the importance of the local church is seen even in first century. Some may ask, why, why all the multiple local churches? There are going to be local churches, and I hope many local churches, throughout the land. As in different communities, the gospel begins to shape the culture. As the church comes together, they come to study the Word of God, and this is what was happening in Galatia. And there's debate as to which destination when you're talking about Galatia. Where, where was Paul writing to? Either Paul was writing to the Roman province of Galatia that encompassed the, roughly the eastern portion of Asia Minor, which is 
modern-day Turkey. Maybe that's where he was riding. Austin Gann, I believe, is in the room. There's Austin. In fact, guys, can we just encourage Austin? He's back from serving in Turkey. Six months. Can we show our love to Austin? So glad, brother, that you're back home. You being there in Turkey, okay, this could have been the actual place uh, where these churches were. Pretty surreal, right? And so this could have been the exact location. Um, If that's the case, this was the very first letter that Paul wrote in maybe A.D. 49. Not too many years, 15, 20 years after Christ. So uh, another common view was that it was written to the Celtic people who lived in northern Galatia, widely known as Galatians. Then he would have written this around A.D. 54 or 55, which means it was during his second missionary journey. And we're familiar with three missionary journeys that Paul had. And so whether it was written in AD 49 or AD 54 or 55, right at this moment, it doesn't make a difference for us where you may land on that. If you want to study it more, go ahead. It's going to be a great study. But he's writing to young churches who are being attacked by Judaizers, seeking to add to this gospel. Whether they were for Jesus Christ or against Jesus Christ, whatever vantage point, they wanted to add to the work of Jesus. So Jesus Christ plus living by the law. So you still do your work. A lot hinges on your work. Church, it never hinges on our work. Whether we say we're sinners apart from Christ or we're saved in Christ Jesus, it's never hinging on our works. It's always on his work. They were spreading a counterfeit gospel, requiring the law to be observed along with following Christ. And here are a couple of things. They were requiring circumcision for Gentile believers. Saying if you are truly a believer, then you will go through the circumcision process. And Paul will address this later. Ultimately, putting salvation's continued work back on them. That, that was the whole purpose of circumcision. And Paul would say, no, that is not the case. Paul is astonished that the young churches are quickly deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. These young churches needed the clarity of the gospel, for they have much to gain in Christ. And we need the clarity of the gospel. Because it's not that we're just going through the motions. This may be very routine for you, to be here on a Sunday morning, to hear the gospel preached, to read your Bible during the week, and nothing wrong with a good routine. But if you're getting lost in that routine and it has lost its meaning, may the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart today draw you back to this rich gospel, the understanding that you have Christ if you are a Christian. You gain Christ through the gospel. Ray Ortland also says this, God does not gain by our clarity about him. We do. So God's not waiting to be a better God based on what you learn about him. God's whole reputation does not hinge on how you live your life. God is God. We gain by having better clarity of his message, of his work. Our view of God, our view of the gospel does not change who God is, but it most certainly changes who we are and creates in us a longing and a desire to look more like Him. Do you have a longing 
Do you have a desire to look more like Jesus Christ right now in your life? I mean, what is that that you just want so badly? What are the conversations that you had in the car on the way here? What have, what have you been searching in Google this week? What have you been looking at on Pinterest, women and men? What is that that you just must have? That you can't wait to obtain. Is it Jesus Christ? Is it knowing him more and growing more in who the Father is? Because he's not lacking in any good thing. It's us who is lacking. We lack a desire to look like him in order to look more like influential man. God still doesn't change. And that was the problem here. These young churches, they were being influenced by man. And we kid ourselves if we want to stand up and say, no man influences me or how I think or what I do. All of us are influenced by men. All of us, if not careful, are influenced by our culture, by the mainstream, whatever is current, most popular, most acceptable. Let's not step outside that boundary that the gospel is calling us to step outside of. That's what Paul is addressing here. Martin Luther said this, great reformer. This is the sum of the doctrine of the devil and the world from the beginning. We will not appear to do evil, but whatever we do, God must approve of it. And all his prophets must agree. If they do not, let them die. Let Abel perish and Cain live. Let this be our law. If man does not submit to God, God's gospel, this is his attitude towards the good news. Let anyone who does die. When we come together next Sunday night and we watch the insanity of God, we will see that visually through reenactment. Those who are living by the gospel and others who would say, that's not God, or there is no God. That's not how I want to view God, because they're wanting to view God outside of who God says he is. And man says, let him die. Shut him up. Don't talk about it. Keep it to yourself. Let your religion be private. All these things we are very familiar with. So this was the struggle of these young churches of abandoning the good news. And then finally, Paul affirms the gospel as he's writing to them. All this in the introduction, in the first five verses that we see, and that's as far as we'll go today. But verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. So he greets them with a reminder of God's grace and peace. Oh, to reflect upon God's grace and peace. And this is a reminder that we would hear these words, that it would spark back those conversations that they had with Paul when he was there in their presence. And he says, let me tell you about his grace and how that brings peace into your lives, these things which you have been lacking. In chapter 5 of this epistle, we will study the in-depth work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us by the grace of God the Father 
and establishing peace within our troubled hearts as we daily rely on Him to guide us. And we learn more of God's grace and peace as we look into other letters of Paul, that being Romans. Romans chapter 5. If you want to turn there, you can flip back from Galatians, flip back to the left, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what do we learn here in this little piece of his letter in Romans? That we're not born into a peace with God until we mess up and do something to offend Him. If we work really hard each and every day, we're not gaining God's favor. We're not being put on His good list and being left off the naughty list. That's not how we are in good standing before God. We don't have peace with God in our lives through any work that we can do of ourselves or any work that our family can do for us. Children in the room, students in the room, I'll talk to you here. Listen, you don't gain peace with God by your parents' faith. They don't save you. Them bringing you to church, them reading you the Bible, that doesn't save you. You are only saved by one, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is reminding them of. That it's justification by faith alone. Your faith in Christ alone. Galatians 2.16, as we will read later, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Law does not save man. He's not justified. He still has sin on his account. But he continues, he says, So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So no, we are not good enough. We will never be good enough to God's standard of righteousness and excellence. But Christ Jesus is And we can find our hope by placing our faith in Jesus and His good work. By His grace, we stand and we find ourselves rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Our works condemn us, leaving us to sit in our own guilt. We have no place to stand. But His works redeem us, leading us to stand and rejoice. Are you standing and rejoicing today? because of what Christ Jesus has done for you. Romans 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, and in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. May we not forget this newness of life which we are called into in salvation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. There's nothing wrong with looking forward to eternity. And may we not have a small view of what heaven is. And please do not go to the best-selling books out there in mainstream to find out what heaven is about. (laughs) Because it's just going to be whatever you want it to be. And that's not heaven. That's not eternity. 
but God is at the center. It is for his glory, and we will enjoy him forever. Oh, there's so much to learn about our eternity, our life that will go on forever and ever and ever and ever, making this life look like a blip on the radar screen. But hear this, our blip on the radar screen can be lived with great purpose, a newness of life, something fresh, something that you didn't have before you followed Jesus, a reason for why you go work, a reason for why you lead your family, a reason for why you lead your very own life. There's a newness that takes place, a new creation, not looking like who you once were before. The old me, you would not allow to stand up here. It is only by God's grace that I can stand up here, and through time there has been change. That ought to be the testimony in your life that when you share about what Jesus Christ has done, that you don't stop at, I got saved and baptized, and everything's good from there. No, would you boast of what's happened since then? Boast in Jesus Christ in your life. What changes have happened? Oh, that's an amazing part of the story. And that's what Paul is saying. We too might walk in newness of life. Through God's grace and peace, we walk in this newness of life. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, this word deliver that is used here, it's a word here that does not denote a removal because that would be confusing right after what we've studied in John 17 together. In John chapter 10 in, in December. No, he's not removing us from this world right now. That's not what this word deliver means from this present evil age, but it means to rescue from the power of the present evil age. There is wickedness all around us. There is wickedness between us. Wicked motives, wicked intentions, wicked things that we say one to another inside our closest circles, inside our families. There's wickedness. How did we become so wicked? We are a product of the present evil age. It's who we are. It does not require any work. We just naturally subject ourselves to it. It's ugly, isn't it? I mean, we don't give much testimony of the ugly parts of our family and the things that are going on, but there's a lot of ugly things that are going on in the midst of our families, and it's nothing new. It's happening here too. There's a lot of ugly things that may be hidden in your life right now, and you're struggling with this, and you're going, why, why, why? Because it's a part of this present evil age. It's, it's the sin that is within us. We can be delivered from the power of this present evil age, from the work of Satan. And here he is trying to get his grip on this early local church, these local churches, to divide and to destroy them. Paul is reminding him, he's saying, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Those sins that we commit, he died for. Church, this is your boast. This is your confidence. If you're struggling with sin this week, he died for those sins. Remind yourself of that to deliver you from the power of this temptation. Which many times we just say, I can't beat it. Might as well just fall back into it. He's reminding them that you have been rescued 
rescuing the Galatians from the influence of the Judaizers so that they may rejoice in the good news of Jesus Christ. Understand this, Jesus Christ is the gospel. He rescues us from hell, but he also rescues us from this present evil age, from perversion and deception and idolatry and wasteful living and legalism. He rescues us from these things. The gospel is a rescue and emancipation from the state of bondage. See, you don't have to be held captive. You don't have to be held prisoner. Students, you're, you're heavy on my heart this morning. I'm just going to address you again. Here it is. You look around at your friends. You look around at your culture and you go, well, I guess this, this, this is what it means to be a teenager. No. Look to the gospel. So thankful that you have parents to make sure you're here. And I hope your parents are faithful to teaching you the gospel in the home. Thankful that you have a student pastor that's faithful to preaching you the gospel and student leaders that are faithful in teaching you the gospel. I'm so thankful that what I hear that you guys do when you're upstairs, it's not just about pizza and fun, right? Although you have a good time, I've, I've seen that. But you hear the gospel message so that you at a young age will get this and not look around and go, what does culture tell me to be? That you go penetrate the culture with the good news as Christ interrupts your life with the wonderful grace of God and makes you a new creation. Amen, teenagers. You can say it. Amen? Yeah, it's popular. It's a popular word. Let's bring it back, all right? Let's bring it back. I love you guys. The gospel is delivered to us according to the will of God, our Father. That's how we have the gospel. Because of the will of God, our Father. Which means the gospel is much bigger than us. We are not obliged to change any of its message, but we are responsible for upholding the truth of the gospel in its entirety which means we must study the books of the Bible and not avoid them, which means we must wrestle together with the text, struggle together, sit down together, and discuss what bothers us most about Scripture, where we're not getting it, where we don't understand, where it seems way above our heads. Or if you think you've outgrown the Bible, that you've learned all there is to know about the Bible, I believe that's the most scary position to find yourself in. The gospel's much bigger than you. His word, much bigger. I appreciate what Timothy Keller from his commentary, Galatians for You, has to say. He says, the Bible judges the church. The church does not judge the Bible. The Bible is the foundation for and the creator of the church. The church is not the foundation for or creator of the Bible. The moment you revise the gospel, you reverse it. You reverse it. I'm grateful for a man named Martin Luther who stood up in a day of Catholicism around church leaders that were making the gospel say whatever they wanted it to say. And that he was led to translate the Bible, to get it 
into the people's hands that they may read it and be transformed by the Word of God. We must be grateful that we all can have a copy of God's Word in our hands. This wasn't common in past day. You would have to sit down and listen to a man read it to you. And he could say whatever he wanted to say. He could make it dance. Whatever he wanted it to be. And God worked through men in history to say, no, that's not how it's going to be. And they began to preach the Bible. Notice we didn't come here today and say, let's talk about the current things going on in life and let's take a message from that and then preach it. In fact, not long ago, we were in Canada and we were interviewing uh, some pastors that were looking to come into a certain area to preach the gospel. And who am I to sit here and interview another guy who's, who's going to go into this area? And he's, that's probably what he was thinking. Who is this guy from Georgia? <laughs> and I asked him the question. I said, I said, brother, do you take the gospel message from the Bible and relate it to culture? Or do you take culture and bring it into the Bible? And he said, well... Isn't it both? And I thought, wow. No, it's not. How careful we must be to think that we can take the things of the world and just implement it into the Bible and make these words dance for us. No, we come to the Bible and say, God, what is Paul saying here? Why is he writing to them? What does this mean? What does it mean for me today? The Bible judges the church. The church does not judge the Bible. The moment you revise the gospel, you reverse it. Now, having said that, you may be picking up the Bible these days and reading, and it's very hazy to you. You're just not getting it. Like, you're reading, you're beginning, you're starting in chapter 1, maybe of Galatians, and you're starting to read, and you're going, I can't stay focused. I, I don't, I have no clue what he means by that word. And then you may give up, and you just put it up for a few days, and, and you may revisit it. What is important is that we keep revisiting the word often. And that when you don't understand something, you circle it. You bring it in. Let's discuss it. Bring it into your community groups and say, I've got tripped up on something. I need help. Who needs help in understanding the gospel? Will you just throw your hand up here this morning? Amen. Okay, look across the building. You see it. You're not the only one. So in that moment when you feel like it's going to be a silly question, why would I even bring it up? Bring it up. Because there's others who are raising their hands saying, I don't get it either. That's why we come to this place. Because I don't know if you've realized it, but lately when you read the news, they're not talking about the good news. <laughs> You're not seeing this. And they're trying to explain why the world is the way that the world is, and it doesn't make sense from their point of view because it's up to God, and He has established it. And this is where we come. So if it's hazy to you, don't abandon it altogether. And this was the young church. They're abandoning this message that Paul gave to them because they're hearing something else, and they're going, that sounds good too. 
you're going to hear a lot of things that sound good that aren't biblical. There may be some things you've heard your whole life that sounded good and pleasant that you've held on to as the gospel. It simply is not the gospel. Once again, I would encourage you and challenge you to be very careful not to wear your theology bracelet. <laughs> I'm not talking about the WWJD, if you know what that is. But your gospel bracelet that you take and say, this is a good verse, and this is a good verse. Oh, I like this one right here. That, that really helps me understand. I'm going to put this verse here. I've got to get, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> I can apply that to anything, right? Put it on there. That's a good verse. I mean, it is the Bible, right? Okay, so put it on there. And then we clasp it and we put it on and we say, here's, here's the Bible right here. Uh-uh. This is the Bible that I know. And be very careful that you make the statement, that's not what my Bible says. <laughs> you don't have your Bible and I have my Bible and we each have, no, we have the Bible. We have God's Word. And so let's tear off these theology bracelets that we have that are just simple. This is, this is as deep as I want to go. This is where I want to keep it. And dig into the Bible. Because we may be counterfeit. But the Bible is not. And how do we know whether our message is counterfeit or authentic? We hold up any message that we hear to the Word of God. We hold our lives to the Word of God. Because there are many things that we can look at and go, that person seems real authentic. Man, they seem to really love Jesus. Do you love the Jesus of the Bible? Do you love the God of the Bible? Do you love the Holy Spirit of the Bible? This is what Paul is addressing. He is reminding them once again, you're hearing this other gospel. There is no other gospel. And this is where we begin in our journey in Galatians today. The motive of Paul's letter to the Galatians is the same motive must be for us, and that is for righteous living for the glory of God. And this is what he says in verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So I hope that next week you'll come back and join us as we begin into Galatians I hope you would take your notes. I, I want to encourage you that during the week that you would revisit Galatians along with any other Bible reading that you may be doing, that you would dig into it. And, and what you've heard today, go back and examine. And if you have any questions, let's work through things together, church. But may we go to the Bible. If you're here today and you're a skeptic of the Bible, if you're a skeptic of Jesus Christ and you would like to talk more, you would like to have more conversation. Will you put on that connection card, hey, I want to know more about following Christ, and just put right beside it, just say, I'm skeptic, or I have questions, or whatever it may be. Um, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, as you're saying, I need life in Jesus. I need to trust in the one who died for me to set me free from the bondage of this present evil age and from the sin which held me captive. Hey, amen. Trust in Jesus. Look to Christ and trust what he did on the cross. Make a good confession to follow him. I'd love to talk with you. This morning, I'm going to be standing right here on this front row, and, and Will and Joby are going to be standing to the sides, and you want to come talk to us? Come forward. We have Brother Charlie's going to be standing in the back. You can go talk to him if you're in that area. Come talk with us about following Christ. If you feel most comfortable just checking that off on the connection card, do that. Let us follow up with you when it comes to following Jesus. The church, as you hear this message today, May we go forth and may we rejoice that we have received the gospel 
because of the will of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have something authentic before us. And Lord, may we love what is authentic. And anything that comes across our way that is counterfeit gospel, as we meditate on your word, as we hunger and thirst, as we were reminded this morning of your word, God, may we be able to pick up on the things that are fake, are phony, are heresy. And God, may we love and cherish what is true. So Father, will you continue to do a work among us as we sing now praises to your name. We are most grateful that we could hear the message of Jesus Christ today. We love you, Lord. We ask your blessings as we go through this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand continue to worship together.